in sin's black night and there was no way i could make my wrongs right then that old accuser to the lord did cry he is a sinner and now he must die and his I still remember years ago, I mean, it was a long time ago now, uh, being at a, um, a pastor school in Hammond, Indiana with Dr., um, oh, let's see, um, Hiles, Dr. Hiles. <clears throat> and uh, man, there were thousands of preachers in this room, thousands. And that's no exaggeration, there were thousands. And um, I think 5,000 people would go to this. 5,000 preachers would be stuck in there. You can only imagine what the restrooms were like after about a day or two. <clears throat> but anyway, these are preachers too. I mean, they were stout men. And uh, <clears throat> they got to singing that song, and I mean, they went crazy. They were throwing Bibles all over the place. I mean, catching them. and I mean, it looked like, I don't know, it was just crazy. I don't know. It was fun, though. But anyway, it was something else. Uh, but that song, that brings me back a lot of memories, a long time ago. Well, 1 Kings chapter 3. <clears throat> All right, 1 Kings chapter 3. And we're going to <clears throat> look at verse 5. All right? 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 5. We're going to read uh, through verse 14. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to recognize here uh, 
fellow by the name of Solomon, and of course, uh, David was Solomon's father. Now, of course, we know that David has passed off the scene, and now Solomon becomes king, and something interesting happens, something that, well, it's um, very unusual, or at least it appears to be unusual to us in so many ways, but we're going to see that the Lord appears to Solomon, and he's going to say, hey, what would you like me to do for you? Ask anything, okay? So let's go ahead and read it here in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. <clears throat> in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast shewed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, <clears throat> Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee, all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. <clears throat> father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless us this evening. May you speak to our hearts and encourage us from your word. We are a needy people. And Lord, as we um, are just a week away from kicking off our uh, fall promotion or campaign, Lord, we ask that you would just begin to prepare our hearts and our minds. We can't help but think about our Sabbath prayer or the prayer that we're going to lift up from Friday to, at 6 to Saturday at 6. We ask that you would use it for your glory and honor. We pray, Lord, that you would just set the tone and prepare the stage and enable us, Lord, to effectively reach our community and reach our world with the gospel. <clears throat> Lord, we want to please you. We thank you for this testimony and this example you've given us tonight in the Word of God, and we pray that we would learn from it and be encouraged by it, and help us, Lord, to be better for it. Now, bless us even this evening. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There's a parallel passage to this, and it basically mirrors what we just read, and it's found in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. This situation with Solomon is in a unique situation. We don't read much 
or many times in Scripture where God goes to someone and offers to give them what they ask for. The truth is, is that many of us, when we read the passage, if we were honest, or maybe if we just would let our mind wander slightly, we may have a tendency to think about a genie in a bottle. With a genie, you rub the bottle and the genie pops out and says, your wish is my command. Ask anything you like and I'll give it to you. Can I tell you that God is no genie in a bottle, but in this particular case, he goes to Solomon by night in a dream and says, ask what you will. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be an intimidating question for me. That would be a difficult question. I mean, I don't know how long it would take for me to figure out what I'd really want if asked that question from God himself. But it seems to me, in Solomon's case, he didn't have to think about it too awfully long. We're going to see in this particular passage that Solomon demonstrates a few things. And then Solomon ultimately deflects. And then we're going to just take a few moments and kind of get a few takeaways from it. Just some thoughts that will, I think, encourage us tonight. First of all, Solomon demonstrates some things. One, he demonstrated gratitude in this passage. Right off the bat, if you see in verses 5 and 6, he says that... Ask what I will give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast shewed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And Solomon is grateful for what God has done for his father and what he's now doing in his own life. He's very, very grateful. Can I tell you that God still responds to gratefulness or responds to thankfulness? God intends us to be thankful. As a matter of fact, in Colossians 3.15, he says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Solomon, I believe, was a thankful young man at this point in his life. Solomon, at this point, found himself in a place where he lifted up Christ and lifted up God and said, Man, I can't believe what you did for my daddy. I can't believe what you're doing for me. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. He demonstrates gratitude, but he also demonstrates humility. In verses 7 and 8, Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child, he says. A little child. Now, can I, I'm just going to say this. When he says he's a little child, we know that he's not running around in diapers. I mean, that's obvious, right? He's he's a little child. He's he's not sucking his thumb. He's not, you know, crying to mom and dad for some ice cream. He's not a little child in that sense. But as he views himself in light of God, he says, listen, who am I? What am I in light of you, God? I'm just a little child. I'm a nobody. I, I I don't have anything to offer you. Now, I'll say this. I believe as we move along in the passage, we're going to note something. I think that Solomon made a pretty wise decision to ask for what he did. So I want to say this. I believe that Solomon was already as wise as any of us in this room long before God ever gave him wisdom. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. 
How much more wise could you and I be if we had the wisdom of God in our life like Solomon did? I mean, Solomon was obviously not stupid. He was an educated man. He had grown up in the king's house. He, he certainly had access to the greatest teachers and minds in the area and, and around the world. He, he, I'm sure, demonstrated to his father that he was capable and very competent to lead the nation. So why did he need any more wisdom? I'll tell you why. Because he was humble. And it just proves more and more every time he was humble. See, the humble man or the humble woman doesn't just say, what is it that I lack? He says, how much more could I have? How much more do I need? James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. In 1 Peter 5, 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humility. He says, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Man, this job is bigger than me. This job is overwhelming to me. I look at at it, and I consider myself, and I say, I cannot do it. Boy, what a humble man Solomon was. He demonstrates gratitude. He demonstrates humility, and he demonstrates selflessness in verse 9 at the very beginning of the verse. He says, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Again, notice, he's asking him for understanding, an understanding heart that he might judge the people, God's people. He's selfless. Of all the things he could have asked for. Of all the things he could have asked for. He asked for something to ultimately help others. I mean, this guy, he's a humble guy. He's a, a very grateful guy. He's a very selfless guy. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I believe Solomon fits the bill. But not only is he selfless, he demonstrates selflessness, he demonstrates self-awareness. I like this about Solomon. Again, in verse 9, he makes the statement, he says, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Who's able to do this? It's certainly not me, Lord. I have limitations. I am not a legend in my own mind. I don't believe for a moment that I'm the solution or the answer to all the problems in Israel. I really believe that there has to be more. Lord, I don't know, but... If you're asking me, there's some real shortcomings, and I'm going to ask for something that will help to fulfill one of those shortcomings. I'm not as wise as I need to be. I'm not as knowledgeable as I ought to be. I don't have a handle or a grip on this judgment or the things that are right and wrong like I ought to. Isn't it amazing that the passage says here in verse 9, it says that he may have a judge, excuse me, an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between what? Between what? Good and what? Isn't it interesting how most of us as Christians think we know what is good and bad? 
We think we all know it already. You don't have to tell me that, preacher. I've heard that 10,000 times. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. I know what's good and I know what's bad. Stop telling me what's bad. I know what's good and I know what's bad. Solomon says, I'm the king of Israel. And Lord, honestly, I am so self-aware of the fact that I need some help in this area of knowing what is good and bad. I honestly need to know. I need to be able to discern between good and bad, right and wrong. And we so often feel we already got a handle on all that. We've been saved at least three years. Or maybe 30 years even. We got it figured out, boy. Been there, done that a million times. Heard a million messages. I know that. Okay, I know where he's going with that one. Solomon was very self-aware. You know what Solomon was aware of? That he didn't have it all figured out. You know where that comes from? Humility. Humility. You know, before there is ever holiness in your life or mine, there has to be humility. Do you know that holiness is lacking in the Christian's life across the board today, including from the guy standing in the pulpit right on into the pew? The fact is, is that the reason is, is we're not humble enough to admit we're not holy and that we need more purity. Holiness is something we desperately need today, but it will not come without humility. Solomon demonstrates gratitude. He demonstrated humility. He demonstrated, demonstrated selflessness, and he demonstrated self-awareness. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Man, Solomon says, listen, that's the last thing I want, and I know there's some areas that I need help in, and if there is one area I need help in, God, more than anything else right now, seeing that there's such a great people who am I to judge them? Who am I to stand before them? Who am I to lead and guide them? Lord, I need understanding. I've got to have your wisdom. Good for Solomon. Solomon demonstrated those things. But also Solomon deflects. Look at this. Um, interestingly enough, again, as we look over the whole concept, but look, uh, we consider chapter, uh, again, chapter um, 3, verses 10 and 11. Let's look at those real quick. It says, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. <clears throat> and God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Again, he's going through some things, and here's what's happening is Solomon did not ask, again, something for himself. Um, because he didn't do that, God was extremely pleased. He deflected. Okay, what do you want, Solomon? Go ahead and name it. What do you want? Well, let's see here. I mean, I can... I'll tell you what I want. He didn't ask for himself. He deflects. And he puts it on someone else. He thinks about someone other than himself. Boy, that pleased God like nobody's business. God answers his unselfish prayer in verse 12. He goes on to say, behold, I have done according to thy words. I've answered your prayer, Solomon. I'm going to do it. I, you got it. It's covered. It's done. Why do you do that? He says, listen, I've done according to the words. Lo, I've given thee a wise and an understanding heart. I've given it to you so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall arise any arise like unto thee. 
So he answers his unselfish prayer. Then the interesting thing that happens, right? This is the part we all get excited about, isn't it? And sadly, this is the part we get excited about. And maybe you don't, praise the Lord for that. But the temptation in our flesh is to go, wow, now this was the, yeah. Because God then gave him everything else as well. He gave him all those other things. He gave him riches and he gave him honor. You say honor? Yeah, because he didn't ask for the life of his enemies. We see that down here in verse uh, 13, he associates that with honor. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor. Earlier he said, the life of your enemies. So obviously by taking your enemy and you're ruling and reigning over them, you receive honor. It's the implication. He says, listen, you didn't ask to be victorious in battle, to stand over your enemies, to be honored by those who sought your life or your, the nation's well-being. No, you... You don't want that. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you riches. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to give you long life. Hold on now. That long life is conditional, though. Now, God had promised to give him riches and honor already because he did not ask for himself, because he asked for this discernment, because he asked for this wisdom to rule the people, to know or discern between good and bad. But now he gives him another conditional promise. Look at verse 14. He says, And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Then I will lengthen thy days. Then. Conditional. You get get where we're going here. It's conditional. Now that's exactly what God says to children in Ephesians chapter 6. Look if you went over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. He says the same thing to children. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. You know, have you ever had that parent that said, you're going to do what I tell you. I brought you in this world and I can take you out. You ever have a parent say something like that to you? Sure you did. Well, at least you that are over the age of 30. Nobody's allowed to say that anymore. It's considered politically incorrect. But parents used to say things like that. <clears throat> well, in this case, God's saying it. God's saying, listen, you need to walk the line here. Because in doing so, you're going to find it benefits you. What's what he says here to children? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, verse 1, for this is right. That's the first thing. It's right to do. You obey your parents in the Lord. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. So now you need to obey them. That's the right thing to do. You need to honor and obey your parents, though. Boy, in honoring, in honoring thy father, excuse me, in honoring thy father, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. So you should obey the parent just because that's the right thing to do. But as you honor your parents, man, I'll tell you what, I'm going to extend your life. It's going to be well with you. You may just live long on the earth. 
Now listen, there's no guarantees. We understand that life is but a vapor. We understand that there's, uh, you know, it's appointed unto men once to die and there's appointment. We get all that. We know that some of the best people in the world have died early on in their lives. We get that. But as a general rule, we see evidence of this. Clean living, godly living produces longevity in life. Just like we said this morning, that smile, it increased those baseball players' life Seven years is what they claim. Well, guess what? That's a happy life. That's a joy-filled life. Somebody that could find the good in, in, in things that really, you know, the, the implication was if you can really smile and you've got a big smile and you like to smile, then you probably, you know, see the lighter things in life. You don't always get weighed down by the world and so forth. Well, you know what? As a believer, we have the best of the life. It's the best life. And man, I'll tell you what, when we are honoring our parents... Man, that's, that means that things are going to go good for us. When we are obedient and we are submitted and surrendered to our families, to our God-given authority, boy, that makes life so much better, and it ultimately extends the quality and the longevity of our life. It's just the way it is, and that's what God's saying. And, and he says to Solomon the same thing. Now, Solomon really messed up toward the end of his life. You know, he allowed his wives, all 700 of them, and 300 concubines to turn his heart away from the Lord. Actually, it was the wives, the Bible says, that did that. So the concubines are cool. It's just the wives. The wives are the problem. <laughs> okay. All right, so maybe we're in the New Testament, and that's gone by the wayside. So anyway, <clears throat> nonetheless, he, didn't, he, he failed in that area, didn't he? He made some mistakes. I got to believe that he would have lived longer if he wouldn't have allowed his wives to turn his hearts to idols. I believe that. Now, I, I got to do a little bit of a study, a little closer study on exactly what age Solomon was when the wives ultimately turned his heart because I, I got this sneaking suspicion he was a little older than we realized to some degree. But nonetheless, he was, he was old enough that it affected his future. I believe he would have lived longer than he did if indeed he would not have allowed his wives to turn his heart. So, but Solomon deflects some things. <clears throat> he deflects the, the what, what do you want? He says, you know what? It's not about what I want. It's about what I need. He deflects the thing a little bit. Instead of saying, I want riches. And it's all about me. He didn't do that. He deflected. He said, no, it's not just about me. There's more at stake here. So I need to be careful what I ask for. As a matter of fact, this is what I'm going to ask for. That does pretty good. So what are some of the takeaways? What are just a couple things we might be able to glean from Solomon? And, and, and I, as I look at this, I think let's learn from Solomon, the wisest of men. And, and here's just a couple thoughts. <clears throat> Too many times we want the wrong things. Yeah, that's just the thoughts. Too many times we want the wrong things. You say, that's not very profound. I know, but it sure makes a lot of sense. And it sure... It, it, it sure describes us many times. We want the wrong things. It's just too often we do. Now, I hope that as we mature in the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope that our wanter gets a little more mature too, and we don't want the wrong things so often. But it doesn't matter who you are tonight. There are times that you want the wrong things. And, and, and it seems that this creates some problems for us. I think about Lot and Abraham, and we know kind of the story. Turn over to Genesis chapter 13 very quickly. We won't spend a lot of time here. 
But let's just look at this passage real quick. We're going to see that, that Abraham and Lot obviously come to a, a place where there has to be a decision made. They have to separate. They've got to go their own ways for the well-being of their, their, their workers and, and their cattle and their future. And here we are now. At least it appears that way. Now, I'm not so sure <clears throat> that if we could only had a little peace between the people running the show there, you know, on the ground, if, if the folks that were watching over the cattle could have gotten along better, then maybe they could have stuck together longer. See, sometimes division comes not because the leadership's messed up, but because it can't keep everybody off each other's backs. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, it's always the leader's fault. I know. I, I learned. You know what I learned? Can I tell you a principle I learned, and I believe it's true? Everything rises and falls on leadership. You know who said that? Lee Robertson. Lee Robertson said, everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, I don't know if Moses, excuse me, if Abraham and Lot couldn't get a handle on their employees, so to speak. Most of them were probably family and servants and all that good stuff. But those guys could not get along out there in the fields. They just couldn't do it. And so sooner or later, they said, you know, we're just growing so much. We just can't seem to work this out. You're going to have to go your way. I'll have to go my way. And so they did. So I'm not so sure they couldn't have worked it out in the long run if everybody would have been on board. But sadly enough, it's hard to get everybody on board sometimes. So nonetheless, that's just reality of life. And if you have a family, you may find that that's the case sometimes when you're trying to play a board game. You can't get everybody on board. You get the fighting and carrying on. And My family, everybody got along like little lambs. <clears throat> There's never any concerns there. When we get to playing games and stuff, it's just like calm, cool, collective. Just kick back, relax. Nobody's competitive. No problem there at all. Get along just whew, wonderfully. So anyway, <clears throat> here we got some problems. Look at Genesis chapter 13, verse 10 now. And here's what happens. We're going to see Lot here. And, and we're just going to look at Lot. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Now, <clears throat> Lot is going to see some things that entice him. And again, I, listen, there's nothing wrong with some well-watered plains. That's good stuff. The only problem is, is that it ultimately put into view Sodom. It put into view Gomorrah. It put into view those, those wicked cities and those wicked men. And here we now have a real problem. Lot started wanting the wrong things. He saw some things that ultimately caused him to want the wrong things. How important is it that we do not look upon the wrong things? And I'm not just talking about lustful things. I'm talking about the wrong things. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, we talked about this a, a couple of Wednesdays ago or so. I mean, honestly, um, this is the best I can do, but it's a dollar bill. But anyway, I know looking on this isn't really that enticing. But anyway, uh, you know, we can look at this long enough that before you know, all we want is this. You get where I'm going with this. We, we, can, we can see a lifestyle that someone's living and say, that's what I want. You know, we watch a car, or we see a car or a motorcycle that somebody's driving. I don't see me. And that's what we want. I can do without it, I guess. I'd kill myself on a motorcycle now. 
my wife, she didn't let me drive in one. And you know what? When I got um, a little older and I had kids, I didn't want to drive a motorcycle because I was afraid they'd start driving them. That's the reason why I didn't drive my motorcycle once I had kids. Sat in my garage for about 10 years till the neighbor finally came over and saw it one day. And I said, eh, you can have it. But then he never got it. So then I gave it to Brother Ankrum and he probably sold it and made money. But anyway, <clears throat> you know, but he said he was going to use it, but he, he probably sold it. But anyway, um, that's, that's Brother Ankrum. But, but, but that's how it works. He needs the money right, more than I do. Uh, but anyway, I'm not bitter. <clears throat> not bitter at all. Uh, but moving on. So anyway, <laughs> but too many times we want the wrong thing. We get to looking at the wrong things. The next thing you know, we want the wrong things. Man, you know, in this particular case, it's interesting, isn't it? The wrong things in our account appear to have been things like long life. Huh? I want long life. I want riches. I want the life of my enemies, or I want honor. Those would have been the wrong things for him to ask for in this passage, right? Or at least it appears that he asked for the right things, so in my mind I'm thinking he asked for the right things, so therefore those wouldn't have been as good to ask for. But when we think about things that we long for, that we desire, they usually fall into these categories, riches and honor and long life. Those are the things that captivate us. Those are the things we have our eyes on. Those are the things that matter most to us in most cases. These are the main pursuit of mankind today when you really think about it, isn't it? Riches, honor, and long life. That's what everybody wants. Think about that. Now, I know we could go over to uh, Galatians chapter 5 and we understand love, uh, love, joy, and peace. We understand that. That's all part of all of that. But without life itself, that would mean nothing. And in this case, they want the riches to enjoy it with. And they, they, want, they want honor. They, they want to be victorious. They want to be successful. They want to be on top of their enemy, not being crushed by the enemy. Those are the pursuits of mankind today. Those are the things that this culture is telling us are most important. Those are the things that you can't live without. You need riches, you need honor, and you need long life. Man, look at what's going on in the, the long life industry. Everywhere you turn, somebody's trying to extend the life of people. My wife and I were talking about that the other day. It's just amazing. I mean, nowadays, you know, it kind of, it kind of really irks me, kind of. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, it irks me. There's these 70-year-old women wanting to take pictures of themselves in their bathing suits now. No, no, no listen. And no, no, they're going to show some woman who has had somebody taking care of their body for them for the last 50 years. Somebody that's had a tummy tuck and had a chin tuck and had, a, had, a, had hair put back on their scalp and, 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 you know, just, you know, all of that stuff. And, and they're going to be, you know, all they do in life is, is have to look good in front of a camera. And it's like they want to hold on to their youthfulness forever. You ever notice in America, all we want to do is stay young? Why is that? We want long life. Long life is our goals today. We want to live forever. Because honestly, there is no living if you don't know Christ afterwards. It's going to be a mess. The devil has so deluded us and he so tricked us and fooled us into believing somehow that these are important things, that that's what really matters in life. And yet you have a young man at the age of 29 who went to the Indians in America. What was his name again? Jonathan, not Jonathan, Ed, Jonathan Edwards' son-in-law. What was his name? 
David Brainerd. You have David Brainerd at the age of 29 who dies, and we still read his biography to this day. He made such an impact in, our, in the Christian world and such an impact in the world itself. 29 years is all he lived, and yet his life added up to more than most people that live 100 years will add up to. You know, and we, we somehow think that long life is the one thing that it matters so much. Man, I'm eternal and you're eternal. And yet, honestly, man, life is pretty important to me. This life, I should say. But should it be most important? Solomon didn't think so, obviously, or he would ask for it. That's not what he asked for. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for honor. Man, that's crazy, isn't it? Too many times we want the wrong things. Number two, when we desire the right thing, God is happy to give us everything else. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's a pretty popular verse, and we've talked about it often, and, and, and I, I really like this verse, and so many of you probably do too. It's one that you've probably memorized in some cases. Notice Matthew 6, 33. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking, and he, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I mean, the passage focuses on the importance, or should I say emphasizes the importance of focusing on the eternal, doesn't it? It's really what it is. And, and you know, it's easy to forget about the eternal, but in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When, listen, when we make getting our main goal, watch this, when we make getting our main goal, we keep God from giving. I mean, I know that sounds kind of corny. It just corny stuff comes to me. But when we make getting our main goal, we keep God from giving. I'm going to tell you something. I want God to be free to give. But too many times I'm all about getting for me. Oh, God, give me a new car. Oh, God, give me a nice house. Oh, God, give me a good job. Oh, God, give me this and give me that and give me this and give me that. All along, sometimes the very most important things I need, I never recognize and I never ask for. I forget that there's an eternity ahead. I forget that there's more important things than just me and mine. And sometimes if we're not careful, we miss that. Solomon understood there was something bigger than himself. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about what he could amass or what he could get. He thought to himself, listen, I've got all I need. And you say, yeah, but he was a king. Why would he care? I know, but he could have asked for anything. But instead, he asked for others. 
He did it so he could rule God's kingdom, so that he could fulfill God's purpose for his life. You you say, I feel like the Lord wants to use me in ministry. Okay. All right. Then what are you going to ask for? Riches? Honor? You can ask for long life? Number three, there, here it is. This is the, the big deal. If you could ask God for anything in the world, what would it be? If you could ask for anything in the world, from, from God, for anything in the world, what would it be? And I think these are the kind of questions we need to ask ourselves from time to time. It's not profound. It's not really deep. It's not at all. But I'm telling you, it, it, it is a gauge by which we can measure our life. And, 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 and our priorities, and to be frank with you, our spirituality. I mean, let's be honest. Well, if, if you could ask anything of God, if you could request anything from God and know that he would provide it, what would you ask for? A single girl says a husband. A single guy says a wife. The couple says a beautiful baby or a nice house or the high schooler says an education. I'm just saying, what would you ask for? A hundred million dollars because then I could give a lot to the church. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Talent, ability, fame, fortune. What would you ask for? If you could ask anything, health. Health. Listen, I'm not saying any of those are bad things in and of themselves. They're not necessarily, really, especially the 100 million. (laughs) But the fact is, we have to ask ourselves that question. Now here... The truth is, now listen, this is the truth though. You can ask God for anything you want. God goes to Solomon and says, ask what you want. Well, the Bible says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. You ever notice that there is somewhat of a condition on prayer though? In James chapter 4 verse 3, He tells the people there, he says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Isn't it interesting? He makes it clear that if what you're asking for is really so that you can consume it, so that it's all about you and yours, well, there's a good chance you won't get it anyway. Because that's exactly how Solomon ended up. Solomon asked for something that wasn't for him really. In the long run, it was for the kingdom. In the long run, it was for the glory of God. And God said, guess what? I'm going to give you everything else instead. I'm going to give it all to you. By the way, is your anything that you would ask for, is your anything worth God's time to answer? Is it worth God's time to answer it? For instance, if a person comes into your business, say you own a business, and they ask you for a job. Now, I know today that's just like fairy tale because nobody's working 
I, drove the, I went to the Taco Bell the other day, me and Brother Steve, and we were going to go to the Taco Bell. And I said, let's just go on inside instead. And he said, I'm not sure if it's open. I said, of course it's open. I've been in there already. He said, yeah, I know, but sometimes they're not open. I said, that's ridiculous. They got to be open. Middle of the day, lunchtime. Cars wrapped around the drive-thru. I start to get out, and I realize the door's locked. I asked the lady, she's going into the door, she's a young girl actually, I said, hey, I said, are you guys, uh, are you, are you, aren't you supposed to be open, aren't you guys open? I thought you were open already, I've been in there before, she said, oh yeah, we are usually when there's enough workers. I get to the drive-thru and we have to wait for a little while and the, the, the manager says, I'm sorry, we only have two people working tonight. Yeah, that's exactly how she said it too. And I said, man, glad I'm not working here today. Man, that would be a rough one. She was on edge. So anyway, let's just assume you have a business and somebody actually asks you, that it says, I want to work for you. So pretend with me if you would. <clears throat> so they come and they ask you for a job. Now here's the thing. As an employer, you want to hire somebody and you want to you you answer their request with a, an affirmative answer if you believe that by hiring them, it will benefit you and your company. That's why, you, you know, that's why you, it, okay, I'm going to answer, I'm going to give you what you want if it's going to benefit me and my company. You don't say, I want a job. You say, well, listen, cool, you got any qualifications? None. Do you like, will you be here on time? Doubt it. Are you going to work hard while you're here? Eh, maybe. Cool. 25 an hour? Sound good to you? Okay, great. You wouldn't do that. You're going to make sure that they have something to offer, that their request that you're going to fulfill is going to somehow, some way benefit you and your company. Is your anything that you, ask, that you could ask God, would it benefit God? Is it worth God's time to even answer it? Give me riches. How's that going to benefit God? It's going to benefit him or is it just going to benefit you? Give me honor, God. Is that going to benefit God or is it going to benefit you? Give me long life. Is that going to benefit God or is that going to benefit you? I guess tonight, all I guess I'm trying to say is, is when Solomon answered God, he wasn't just thinking about himself when he responded. He was thinking about what was best for God and others. And God said, because you weren't so selfish to ask only for you, it wasn't about you. I'm going to give you everything that you didn't ask for too. What do you want more than anything else in the world? Think about that and be honest with yourself. Because in answering that question, you will understand why you are where you're at in life. Where's my joy, Lord? Maybe it's because you need to rethink what you want most in life.
I don't have anybody that's a friend to me. Maybe it's because you want the wrong things in life. I'm telling you, there's things missing in our lives because we're not, we don't want the right things. We desire the wrong things. Let's be careful. You say, well, tell me what I should desire. I ain't got time to do that. And honestly, right now, I don't even know because it's not on this piece of paper. <laughs> You've got to figure it out yourself. But it begins by answering the question, what do I want most in life? What would I ask for if God said I could have anything I wanted? Anything at all, what would it be? And I want you just to think about that and be honest with yourself and answer it down the road and really think about it. I mean, give it some thought. That's, that's huge right there. You know why I think a lot of our singles are going off the deep end and our, our young people are losing their way? Because they don't want the right things. You want to know why I think our marriages are going south today in America? Because most people don't want the right things. Why, why is our world upside down today? Because we got the flesh, and the flesh doesn't always want what's best for God or others. It's always about self. So all I'm saying is, is let's think about it, because you and I, we're Christians. We can do something about this, because we have his spirit living in us. And we can think different, feel differently, act differently, and be different than the world is. Father, we love you. We need you. We just thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for just the simple thoughts that we just think about when we consider Solomon and what he, well, what he asked for when given opportunity. Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to really, really, really be honest and think about what we want most. What is it we desire the most in life? If given opportunity, what would we ask for if there were no ramifications, negative ramifications, if it would all just be, we ask it and nobody's going to think anything the less of us, would we ask for the right thing or the wrong things? And Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. But Lord, may we realize, Lord, that what we do ask for, what we long for, what we desire does affect us and it affects those around us. And it also can stay the hand of God in our life if we're not truly depending the way we should on him and asking the right things from him, wanting the right things overall. Father, bless us now in this time of invitation. Be glorified in it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed.